Good morning, family. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was the Pharisees. The other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisees stood up himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisees, returned home justified before God. For those who exalted themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, brother. You may be seated. While you find your spots in your Bible, uh, I'm going to get situated up here. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Mo, it's good to be back and worshiping with you again. That's, that's awesome. We've both been away, and so, um, so yeah, it's just good to be back together. But let me ask you a question. So out of these two people that you just heard, whoa, that you just heard Mo describe, right, or that maybe hopefully in your daily readings you read um, to prepare your heart to receive today's message. We have the readings you're supposed to read before you even get here, the passage I'm teaching on on Sundays. Um, hope, which of those two men, the Pharisee or the tax collector, do you think a not-yet-believing person, a, a non-Christian, an unregenerate person, which of those two people do you think they would rather interact with? The Pharisee or the tax collector? I mean, the Pharisee or the tax collector? Which would you rather be friends with? Like, which would you rather be in, even if it wasn't friends, which would you rather just relate with, have relationship with, even if that relationship was just for a few minutes? The answer is the tax collector. Why? Because the Pharisee is exhausting, right? And yet, here's the reality, and you're going to hear this several times today. All of us have an internal Pharisee. We are all guilty of being pharisaical in some ways, and that part of us is exhausting not only to us, but also to the world. And so what we're trying to do in this time that we're taking a break from our Roman study and we're doing this gospel conversations is we're trying to get better at relationship. We're trying to get better at relating with one another, but also at relating with the world so that they can come in to the one another's. But why? Because relationship is the business God is in. Jeff talked about it in, that, in the little gospel moment that we had. God with us is the gospel story. From beginning to the end of scripture, God with us is the gospel story. And unfortunately, our rebellion, Bible calls it sin, has separated that relationship. So the gospel is the good news. It is a proclamation that God has done for us something we could not do. And that is restore that relationship. Now, as part of the, this series that we're in called Gospel Conversations, we're doing a couple of things. One, I'm teaching little snippets each Sunday to see how Jesus interacted with or described different people and how, to, and how we relate with one another and they relate with God. The other thing we're doing is we're doing a, a study 
um, called God Space. It's a book study. Our D groups, there's books out in the lobby on the table. Grab one, take it. There's also a study guide that I wrote that goes with it, and it has just some reading, some questions, really easy to do. Because we don't publish a list of our D groups. Why? Because the church... Cross-train is not about making disciples. Disciples are about making disciples. We together are the disciples of Christ that are called to make disciples. Here's how you get into a D group. You look at the person next to you and you say, hey, how would you like to talk about Jesus with me? That's a D group. Right? It's not the church's program doing it for you because as soon as that program ends, so does your discipling. Discipleship, being a disciple maker, training in that, is what we are all to be about. So, I try to make it as easy as we can. We have some some questions for you. And then there's homework each week. So here was the homework from last week's study. And it's an easy read. It's easy to catch up. If you haven't started yet, don't, don't go, well, I'm already behind. It just takes a few minutes to read each chapter. It's an easy read. Um, so just, yeah, jump in. Invite someone to jump in with you and just have a conversation. Here was the homework from this last week. The first thing was, pray that God would give you eyes to see and hearts to hear the broken and hurting around you. Why? Because last week we talked about how we need to be making room for God. So part of the first step in making room is even having a heart that wants to make room. So are you praying that God would just even give you those eyes like Jesus in in the passage we were in Matthew 9 last week when he says, seeing the people, his heart broke for them. For they were dispirited and discouraged like sheep without a shepherd. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up us, shepherds for his field. Here's the second question, or the second part of the homework. Take some time to consider which of these areas you think you have the most potential to grow in. Guys, if you didn't know, that is... Um, leadership ease for saying you're the weakest at, right? Opportunities for growth are really your weak point. So out of these areas that the study is going to cover, that we're actually going to talk about each Sunday here, which do you have the greatest opportunity to get better in? Is it noticing others? Is it serving others? Is it listening to others? Is it asking others? Is it telling others the gospel? And we're going to look at all of those different aspects over the next six weeks. This is a seven-week study. Why? Because Jesus was really good at all of them. And oh, by the way, he tells us in 1 John 2, 6, he says, if you, want to, if you say you follow me, if you are my disciple, you will walk in the manner in which I walk. You will do to others what I have done to you. You, you will disciple others. There is no place in Scripture for the disciple of Christ who is not also discipling people. That is just not a biblical concept. That is a completely spectator sport version of American Christianity. Right? We, Christianity is participatory. Let's say that with me. Christianity is participatory. That, one more time. That was weak. Participatory. That means we all are participating together. Why? Because it's the mission he's left us here with. Guys, we have got to get better at showing God. We, we prayed about it. We prayed God. We, Father's Day, made up holiday. I get it. We, but we prayed God, the heavenly. We, I loved how the prayer time was focused mostly on God as our heavenly father. Guys, we got to show the world that. That he is a, that he is a God who not only knows them, but wants them to know him. That, that's the mission. That's the only reason we're here. Otherwise, we're just playing around. 
I mean, and I don't just mean here, here. I mean here at all. Right? If, if God's end game for your life was your comfort, he would take you home the minute you came to faith in Christ. We have got to get past that. God's end game for you and the reason he delays to take you home or to come back and get us all is because he wants people to come into faith in Christ because he wants as many people as possible conformed into the image of his son. Why? Because his son is the one who brings him the glory. And all of eternity is going to be about glory bringing to God. So the more like Jesus we look when we enter into glory, the more glory we give to God. That's the business he's in. And you cannot get there without being in a relationship with other people. You cannot. The scary part about the last couple years, because here's what COVID did. COVID took a whole bunch of people that were already struggling to relate. Like tension was getting higher. Hostility was getting more. Factions were getting wider in every aspect of our lives. Not just politics, but in social media. And And COVID then removed everybody from relationship. And they said, now if you're going to relate at all, you're probably only going to choose to relate to the handful of people that look and act and think and vote just like you. That is not going to get the gospel around the world. right? And, and, and if we can't see that as a tool of the enemy, guys, then, then, we're, then we are, then, then frankly, we just wasted the last two years. right? We have to see that, that now more than ever, we... We, plural, like we, and the world need relationship. Yes, relationship with Jesus through relating about Jesus with one another. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Guys, D.L. Moody, who's a 19th century um, evangelist, right? You probably, maybe you've heard his name before. He said this, one in 99 men will read the Bible. 99 out of 100 men will read the Christian. So the question becomes, what is your life telling them when they read it? If someone were to follow you around just this week, would they end the week closer to Jesus or further from him? Right? So with that, what we have in your, in your bulletin is we have these things. We call them training truths. So today what we're talking about, last week we talked about making room for God. Today we're talking about, okay, you're making some room. Now what do you do? You step into grace. You step into grace. And the question that's going to drive the discussion today, we call it our training truth, our our training thought, that's sort of what our passage is going to answer is, what does it take for someone to embrace grace? What does it take for someone to embrace grace? And I'll give you a little secret. here's Here's part of the answer. They have to know they need it, and they have to know God wants to give it. Now look at your talking points question, the first one. That's on the back of your little handout. Because we are participatory here, not just spectators. What keeps people from the grace of God? I'm asking, what keeps people from the grace of God? Choice, okay. Pride. Legalism. Self. They don't know about God. Ignorance. They don't think they need him. Not understanding what grace means. Guys, here's, here's what I love. All of those things, including the last one that my mom just said, could be put into two main categories that keep things from God. Or keep us people from God. Pride and shame. And this passage we're going to look at today show us great examples of both of those. Pride and shame. 
So take a look at your training truths or the outline for the passage. Here's what we're going to see to answer our question. So how does it, what does it take for someone to embrace grace? It takes that they have to rightly see themselves and the need that they have and humbly come to their king. So with that, open up your Bibles to um, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and we're going to look at our passage. It's the passage that was just read over you by Mo. Luke chapter 18, and we're going to pick it up. Sorry, we're going to pick it up in verse 9, looking at our first point. So what does it take for people to embrace grace? They have to rightly see themselves. Look at what he says. He also, this is Jesus speaking, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Guys, get this. This is not a parable for people. This is a parable he's telling to people. He says, I'm going to tell you a little story. To you. Who are the people he's telling it to? What, what, what would characterize them? Contempt Self. Contempt for others. Pride. Arrogance. He's writing. Now, now look at, so look at what he says. He says, so here's a whole, I'm, tell, I'm to an audience that is consumed in self. Because if you've been here very long, you understand that, that that isn't just those people's problem. Look at the person next to you right now and go, that's your problem. Say it to each other. It is everybody's problem. And if you're sitting here today going, it's not my problem, it's your problem. Right? It's just the way, that is what's so insidious about selfishness. The last person to see it is the selfish person. Right? And so he says, here's the, here's the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Remember, now the Pharisees were the, legal, they were the religious leaders of the time. They have the reputation for being very legalistic. That was a well-earned reputation, but they would, be the, they would be, like to us, in our context, it would be the devoted Christians. And the tax collector was just another word for a sinner. A, a, someone that everyone in society knew was the biggest sinner they knew. That was the tax collector. So he says, there's this Righteous church-going person, and there's this completely sinful heathen. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. What is this man's problem? Pride. Remember we said, what are the two things that keep us from God? Pride and shame. This man is so incredibly prideful. Guys, pride is at the heart of every sin that has ever existed. Right? I'm going to read a quote to you from one of my favorite books, Mere Christianity. It's, um, it's, from, a, it's from a longer quote. This is a long quote, so it's going to hopefully come up on the screen. Um, but I'm going to read a quote from you from, from this. I would strongly encourage you guys. It, this is a, Mere Christianity is a great book about, if he starts with just how do you know there is a God? Good and evil. Where did it come from? And he leads people into, into how do we know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This book, given to me back in 1991, is one of the things that the Lord used massively in my life to lead me to Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to, it's not an easy read. C.S. Lewis was a pretty brilliant dude, but it's a, it's a read well worth it. And so I would encourage you to read this book. Here's the quote from it. There is a vice. So this is on pride. This is, this is how he outlines pride, and he goes into greater detail in the book. 
There is a vice, and there is a vice of which no man in the world is free. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular, and no fault which are more we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I am talking of is pride or self-conceit, and the virtue opposite it in Christian morals is called humility. According to the Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. Get this, guys, get this. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. You cannot be having I thoughts and be thinking about praising God at the same time. Right? You cannot be prideful and praising God at the same time. So when we are prideful, and we all struggle with it, we are by definition forgetting God. Each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. Pride is essentially competitive. It is, it is competitive by its very nature. Get this. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something. It only gets pleasure out of having more than the next man. It is, the, it is this comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Greed may drive men into competition if there is not enough to go around, but the proud man, even when he got more than he could possibly want, will try to get still more just to assert his power. Guys, it's the most obvious answer right now in our world, Putin. But it's, it's also the person sitting next to you. Right? Power is what pride really enjoys. It is pride, it, it, it is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation, every family, every, it, since the, and every family since the world began. But pride always means enmity. Enmity just means ill will or hostility. It is enmity. It not only is enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. Even as a follower of Jesus Christ who does know God, that proud part of you keeps you from fully embracing the grace that God wants to give you. Because if you are proud, you cannot know God if pride and God are antithetical to one another. He says, he finishes up with this. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Like I said at the beginning, guys, if you're sitting here today and you're going, well, I don't really struggle with pride. That's not my thing. You're probably the most prideful person in the room. Honestly. Like, it's just the way it is. We have got to recognize that in ourselves. How do you know you're prideful? How do you know you're prideful? Here's, here's, one, guys, here's one of the ways you know. What do you think about other people? What do you think about the person you're sitting next to? What do you think about people that you see on television or social media? What do you think about your neighbors? What do you think? What, that is a great way to see how, you are, how prideful you are. Guys, guys here's, here's another one. Are you um, overly critical of other people? Guys, to be critical of others is to be prideful of yourself. Otherwise, by what basis are you criticizing? Right? If you are, guys, understand this. If you're, if you're in the business of ridiculing other people, whether that be on social media, the inter, you know, some other way on the internet, your other people that you're interacting with, and whether that's to them, or here's the other way it shows itself, gossip and slander. If these are characteristic of your conversations, 
you are massively struggling with pride. Why? Because the reason, in our, in our heart of hearts, we would never say this, the reason we're ridiculing people, the reason we're gossiping, the reason we're slandering is because it makes us feel better about us. And, and we are in the business of making ourselves feel better. So how do you know if you're prideful? Are those kinds of things characterizing your conversation? Look at what Jesus says. Go back up to verse 9 in the second half of verse 9. So he's telling this parable to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. So the question I'm asking right now is, who are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Does your speech, your behavior, your social media feed... The conversations you're having in your own brain, as Brian talked about, like that was just so stinking convicting to me. Thank you, Brian, for that. Like the conversations we're having in our own brain, the conversations we're having with one another, what is it conveying? Is, is, what is it conveying about who you're trusting in? Guys, if someone were to look at any of those areas or look into your brain, would they say, this Doug is, Doug's trusting in the goodness of God alone. That's it. That's all he's got. Right? With, with that, guys, and unfortunately, I would say not as much as they should. And it's probably, I'm probably not the only one in the room. Guys, Jesus, back to like, how do you know if you're prideful? Well, think about like the kinds of stuff that come out of your mouth. And in our day and age, it's not just our mouth. It's also this and this and other ways too. Right? What is it? In Luke 6.45, he says, The good man, out of the goodness of his heart, speaks, texts, emails, posts, good. The bad man, out of the badness of his heart, does all those things bad. Why? Because it is out of the overflow of our prideful or humble hearts that all of that other stuff comes out of us. Right? James says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. Peter grabs a hold of that and he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God because he will exalt you at the proper time. How? Casting all of those thoughts, all of those cares, all of those anxieties, all of those things that are making you angry, that are, that are causing you to be that person that is ridiculing and gossiping and slandering. Cast them all on Christ. Why? Because he cares for you. Here's the question. How did Peter learn that? How did Peter learn that, guys? If you know Peter's life, how did Peter learn that I got to stop being this way and I better start being that way if I want to be like Jesus? He learned it from Jesus and his own personal experience because he was Mr. Open Mouth Insert Foot. He was the most prideful of the disciples. It's why Jesus orchestrated his great failure because he needed to be humbled. Right? And so he learned it through his own experience, because that's who he was in his heart of hearts. Look at your second talking points question. We all, and I am going to ask for feedback on this one, we all have an inner Pharisee. This keeps us from coming to God. How does it show itself? Inwardly and outwardly. So we'll start with inwardly first. So how does your inner Pharisee show itself? Inwardly, meaning nobody else may know what's going on inside you, but what kinds of things might be going on inside you? Saying it like scorekeeping. At least I do this, and I don't do, I'm not those people. Right? At least I'm doing these things. I got up and had my Bible time this morning. Insecurities. Good. Like I'm, I'm, I'm insecure in just who Christ has made me to be. 
But man, I don't want anybody to know it. Guys, we are so good at putting masks on, especially in the church. Philip Yancey wrote, a, wrote one of the first books I read as a Christian back in the early 90s, or the mid-90s, I guess it would have been. But um, he wrote a book, something like, What's So Amazing About Grace or something. And he talks, he shares a story. This isn't in my notes, but he shares a story of this woman who had been a prostitute and actually had started prostituting out her young daughter because she could make more money doing that to, for her drug habit and just to feed them than she could taking care of herself. And, and man, I, you, I, every time I read that or I heard that or even when I was thinking about it for this message and stepping into grace, I, like, I, there's that part of me in my flesh that just goes, oh, man, I want to punish that woman so bad. Right? And I, and I understand that. And I'm not saying she shouldn't have been punished for what she did. But he looks at her and he says, and this is, he, was, he was a pastor at a church at the time, and he said, and outside of Chicago, and he says, so why didn't you go to a church? Why didn't you go to a church for help? And she looks, and, she said, and he says, I still remember the look on her face. She said, church? I already feel bad enough about myself. They would make me feel worse. Because we need to own that. Right? We do. Like we as a church, not just not capital C church and cross train, we need to own that we have a really, we're really good at getting people to hide their junk because they're afraid to bring it forward. And that's where we're going to end our time, and so I, I, I don't want to give too much away. So how about outwardly? What are some ways that we see, um, that we see our pride or our inner Pharisee coming out outwardly? What's that? Comparison, good, like, like actually, like, yeah, you know, comparing, maybe having conversations with other people about other people because it makes you feel better. Gossip, good. What else? Humble brag. What is humble brag? Oh, awesome. I don't know if you guys could hear that. So Adam said, um, making sure that everybody knows all the good. I mean, I just had this awesome conversation. I shared Jesus with somebody. Right? I, I, I just um, went over here and served these people and helped them move out of their house. I just, now guys, at the, we, have things, these things, we have these things called gospel moments. And if you have those gospel opportunities, we want you to share them. Because that's part of how they get it's like infectious to hear how God is using other people. That's the tension we live in, right? It's sort of like, I don't want to humble brag, do phrase for me. But at the same time, I want to exalt Christ. So what we have to do is tell those stories exalting Christ. Christ used me to do this. I didn't really want to go over there and help them move, but Christ compelled me to go, right? Like, that's same story about the same account, completely different glory focus. What else? Using lots of Christianese. Yeah, like I know all the right words, and I know all the big, you know, and I, I mean, I took two years of Greek and one year of Hebrew, and I know all of it, and so I'm going to just impress all of you now with my Bible knowledge. I wrote down a couple others, so um, again, harsh criticism, like of other people, you know, Facebook and Twitter is not the place, you're, you're never going to win an argument on Facebook and Twitter, you're just not, right, so, so don't attack people. Like, it just, it, it, it just, especially if you have anything on your Facebook page. Now, if you have a secret Facebook page and nobody knows you're a Christian, it's still not healthy, but I would, I would rather see that. But, if, but if, you're, if you're, like, half of your Facebook feed is Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and the other half of your Facebook feed is go to hell, it's not a good witness. 
right? It just isn't. So, I was trying to see if there's anything else I wrote down. Um, I say, here's another way I would say it shows itself outwardly, our inner Pharisee. Just not seeing and acknowledging other people. You know, part, part of, I guess, I, one of the things I've noticed recently, and this will come out because next week we're talking about noticing. But one of the things I've noticed since the masks have more or less come off, and in Arizona that's been for a little while, but how much more powerful, in just in the last few months, like stopping, looking someone in the eye, and saying, hey, I, want you, I hope you have a nice day today. Or, hey, man, I think you have a great smile. Like, it is amazing to me the difference that's making now versus even a couple years ago. Why? Because they can actually see that I'm serious. Right? They're, they're like, wow, this person actually sees me. People want to be seen. They want to be heard. Right? Because we're all struggling with pride. And so a great way to enter into gospel conversation is to just, hey, I see you. Somehow to say to them, I see you. And I genuinely want your good. And then hoping that the Holy Spirit leads that into a conversation of, so let me tell you about Jesus. Because he's the only good you're going to get. Okay, so we talked about how so what does it take for, for people to, to step into and embrace grace? One, they have to rightly see themselves. The second thing they have to do is they have to see the need that they have. Now, look at verse 13. He says, because now this is like just the opposite end of the pride spectrum, right? He says, so this is, so he shared the story about the Pharisee. Now he says, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Guys, do you see the other end? Remember I said the two things that keep us from God are pride and shame. If the Pharisee is the example of the ultra pride, per, pride person, the, the tax collector is the person who is almost paralyzed by his shame. He's off by himself. His head is down. He's like, nobody see me. Nobody hear me. But... This is where the grace of God moves into his life in this parable, and he at least cries out to God. He's like, I need your mercy, God. Guys, shame is a... People that are prideful often are masking some form of shame. But there's a lot of people that, are, that, are not, that don't seem overtly prideful at all, but they're so consumed in self because they're, they're so caught up in their own shame. Past decisions, poor performance... Whatever it is. And, and guys, shame is debilitating. Like, think, I mean, how, how do we know this? Think, think about the Garden of Eden. What did Adam and Eve do right after they sinned? Hid. Why? Because they were ashamed. Right? This whole story about God with guys, that is the gospel story. God made them to be together with Him, He made us to be together with our shame, our guilt. Our sin makes us want to hide from him. So what is God's solution? Well, right from Genesis 3. Hey, Adam, where are you? He comes to them. Grace always moves first. And as recipients of his grace, we should be the ones moving into those shame spaces and going, hey, it's okay. I struggle too. Right? God's grace is sufficient for you. So, look at what he says, the second half of verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house 
justified rather than the other. Okay, so we're justified there. If you remember from our Roman study that we're doing, and we'll get back to, Lord willing, in August, is didasco. It's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's to be made right with. It's a legal standing. Right? It's, it's, remember, we spent, it feels like we spent weeks in it in just getting to Romans 5.1. I did a whole message on just those first two verses of Romans 5. So you can go back and you can listen to it online if you'd like to. But remember five, Romans 5.1 and 2, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith in Christ Jesus, right, we have peace with God. That's the reconciliation that the gospel brings. That's what he's, he's saying. So Jesus is saying, this one who humbly came to me is made right by my grace. The one who stands over there and goes, I don't need your grace because I'm better than that dude doesn't even know what grace is and ultimately has no right standing with God regardless of how religious he is. Regardless of how many times you come to church, regardless of where you serve, regardless of what you give, regardless of, regardless of any of that activity, if you don't understand, I, right now, Doug, I need today God's grace in my life, then you're not really justified. Now, how did this man get justified? Was it because he um, prayed, prayed the sinner's prayer? No. Did he raise his hand and go, I see you, I see you, I see you? No. Did he, did he get baptized? No. Jesus is saying, you know, how he got, you know how he got justified? Repented. He repent. Now remember, repentance isn't stop sinning. Repentance is turn to Christ. He's saying, this man in his moment of shame says, Father, I need your mercy. That's what justified him. Repentance. We have got to get back to a message of preaching repentance. Why? Well, look at your last talking points question, and we're going to start to land this plane. Your last talking points question on the back of your sheet says, we all struggle with sin. I'm not going to ask for people to, to comment out loud on this one. We all struggle with sin. This sometimes keeps us from coming to God. Are you comfortable bringing all your sin to Christ? Why or why not? I, I, I'm just going to stop, and I want you to think about it. Like, are you comfortable bringing your junk to Jesus. Like all of it, guys. Like even that sin that you maybe committed 10 years ago and the, and the, lore are in the, and the enemy just keeps beating you up about over and over and over again because, because you've never experienced the freedom that Scott and Chris and others prayed for. For as the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And so you're not ready to just lay it down at the foot of the cross and leave it there because you haven't even been able to lay it down because your shame is going, man, if I show this, if I show this one to Jesus, he's going to go like this. I ain't touching that. Because there is no such thing. There is no such thing as that sin. There is no sin too big. There is no, there is no life that has been lived apart from God too long. The moment you feel the Holy Spirit moving on your heart to give it to Christ, to give it to Christ. So why don't we do that? One, because we're afraid of what Jesus might do. But two, we're also afraid of what others might think. 
Because we have these white cards over here are, that are in these little baskets on the side. And sometimes we can put prayers up and, and put them on our prayer wall. But we also have nails on the cross. And you can write down your stuff and you can give it to Jesus anytime. You don't have to do it just when I pass them out and tell you that's what we're doing right now. But rarely do we do that. We're going to go into our time of communion and, and our song of response in a little bit. If you feel like the Holy Spirit is convicting you of this, man, there is stuff I need to give. During that time, get up and, and nail it. Oh, yeah, but, but, but people will see. When everybody does it, it's easy because everybody's doing it. If I'm the only one who hangs the, the, the card on the cross, <gasps> I'm the only sinner in the room. Lie. It's just a lie from the pit of hell, guys. Call it what it is. Right? Be obedient and watch how he sets you free. Okay, so what does it take for someone to embrace grace? They have to rightly see themselves and their need for grace, and then they have to humbly come to the king. Look at the second half of verse 14. Jesus says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Guys, I fear that the church has flipped what the gospel is really about. And again, I'm, church, we're not immune to it, but it's the church, capital C. I mean, here's what I mean by that. I believe that, that what we have done is we have, so what this parable is telling us is, guys, you need to be harder on the religious folk than on the one who is obviously a sinner, whatever that means to you, the tax collector. Hey, I guess, how do I, here, here's how I know that. Th think about the two, these, the two great apostles, Peter and Paul. Peter, who struggled with pride, gets humbled. Who is his message, like in Acts 2, and Acts 3, and Acts 4, who is he preaching to? This, the church. And he is preaching hard. You people who crucified Christ, you better repent. Right? Paul, he, he taught some hard truth to the church, 1 Corinthians, but when he was talking to unbelievers, Mars Hill, different, like in, 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 other, uh, in others of his epistles, Philippians, Colossians, what does he say? I am chief among sinners. I am. But the grace of God is sufficient for me. And if it's sufficient for me, it's sufficient for you too. So, so wait a minute, what, so, so here's, the, here's when, when Paul, who was sent to the Gentiles, he was sent to the world, he was sent to those people, he preaches a gentle message of grace. Peter, who was sent to the religious people, is like, kabam, we've completely flipped that. We've gone, you know what, as long as you got your act together and you fit in my little box and you, and I, you, know, you um, think the way I think about Jesus and you attend the same church I attend and you, um, it doesn't really matter what else is going on in your life. Right? I'm just, I'm just going to say, man, Jesus loves you and, and man, his grace is sufficient for you. That's true for those people if they've embraced Christ. But that's not the message the church needs to hear. The message the church needs to hear is get your act together. You are a spirit-filled, spirit-sealed, son or daughter of the king, empowered not to sin anymore, so stop it. What the, what the world needs to hear is God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He is a God you want to know because he knows you fully everything about you, and he loves you deeply. 
That's the message we're supposed to take to the world. And I fear, guys, that we have flipped that. We're telling the world, you're going to hell. Good luck with that. We're just going to huddle up, hang out, and ride this sucker out. I don't know what we're riding out, guys. Honestly, I don't want to ride anything out. I want to go home. I do. I do. I, I do not get the prepper mentality. I don't get the hunker down thing. I just don't. I, I want to go see Jesus. And when I get there, I want him to say, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. I fall short of that. And that's where his grace comes in. I know you fall short of that. That's where his grace comes in. I'm going to invite the music team to come up. Guys, the last part of our passage, verses 15, 16, and 17, talking about the children coming to him and how his disciples are pushing them away. Guys, that's just a God-orchestrated moment for him to, like, for him to living proof what he just taught. He's like, you want to come to me, guys? You come like little children. You come, now, now guys, here's the thing. Here's, where, here's what we have done. We've turned that, like, come as little children. We've sort of turned that a little bit too much into just come simply. Now, the gospel is simple. God with us. Jesus died to save sinners. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That is, that is childlike, but just believing in that is childlike faith. Absolutely. But that's not the point Jesus is making when he says, come to me as a child. The point he's making is, come to me with complete humility. Come to me, frankly, just forgetting all of the, like, not having all that baggage and guilt and shame and pride and just come because of who I am. Because they ran to Jesus because of who he was, not because of who they were or what they were doing. Are you ready to come to faith in Christ as a child? Are you ready to come in just complete humility and go, Lord Jesus, I know I'm broken. I do. But I also know that your grace is sufficient. I know that the cross worked. I know that the resurrection is real. And because of that, I can just come to you. Because we love, we love the passage in Matthew where he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? Because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me and you will find soul rest. We love that. And then we don't come. Or we sort of come. And because we sort of come, we send a sort of gospel to a world that needs to come. Guys, if the world is going to come to know Christ, if the unbelievers in this room and online are going to come to know Jesus, someone has to lead them there. Is your life being lived in a way that leads people to the grace of God? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for um, just the beautiful truth that you have invited us to come, that you tell us we can step boldly into the grace of God, that you tell us that because 
we have such a high priest, a great advocate, who takes the lies of the enemy as he whispers them to the throne room and he says, give me that. I took care of that one and 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 that one. What else you got, Satan? Because I've dealt with it all. It was finished on my cross. What are you going to do with that? I thank you that because that's the truth, that's the gospel, I thank you that you invite us. You say, so then, boldly approach the throne of grace. And there find your help. Look, that's a, that's a message that our own hearts need to hear. But it's also a message the world needs to hear. Evil is real. Satan prowls. Our flesh is weak. Your grace is sufficient. Your power is perfected in how you perfect us. So Lord, as, as you use us to tell the good news that you save sinners, Lord, let us, one, sense your good pleasure, but two, come to realize that we walk away from those moments ever more like Jesus Christ. And it is him and his image that brings you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.